0: You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. The scripture reading is from 1 Peter 2, to 17 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good.
1: thanks be to god let's uh pray before we spend some time reflecting on this passage would you bow your head and pray with me oh lord we come before you with a need a need that we have every week a need that's not unique we need to hear your word for at no fault of yours and completely a fault of our own we are a people who wander in the dark who are so prone to misinterpreting and confusing and so quick to reinforcing our own views. And so what we ask this morning, Father, is what we ask every week, that you would confront us. Confront us with the beauty of the world in which you created, the beauty of Christ. And help us, Father, to turn from any of our behaviors and actions which cause harm to our relationship with you and others and to your world. And in turning from them, also help us to look at Christ and see Christ as so beautiful and so desirable that we might find ourselves drawn to him, seeking to obey him more and more. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the date was November 13th of 1991, and the unthinkable happened. Salvador Gravano, popularly known as Sammy the Bull, I don't know if anyone knows this name, he broke his blood oath. And he testified against the mob boss, John Gotti. You may have seen it. There's some documentaries about it. It certainly is something that featured prominently in the news. John Gotti was the head of the Gambino crime family, the crime syndicate. And Sammy the Bull was the highest ranking mafia member to ever turn as government witness. And his testimony put John Gotti in jail for life. But it not only put John Gotti in jail, it began the process of dismantling the Gambino crime family, which had had such a a nasty claw in the city of New York, but really all around uh, the world, not just even in the city of New York. Uh, His testimony put John Gotti in jail. And despite the fact that Sammy the Bull was involved in 19 murders that he openly confessed to, he was cut a deal by the government. And he broke his silence in 1991, and by 1994, again, despite 19 murders, he was released from prison, a free man. And upon his release, it's not only that he was free, Sammy the Bull was put into the highest level of witness protection that the U.S. government had. What this meant is he was no longer indebted and to have allegiance to the Gambino family, which was a huge deal. Sammy the Bull had spent his whole life being alleg- with an, an undying allegiance to this mafia family, but maybe more significant than that. Within witness protection, Sammy the Bull not only was, was set free from the bondage he had to the Gambino family, he was also given a new name. He was given a new nickname. He was given a new home. More than that, a new birth record and a new birth certificate. He was given a new tax record, even a new genealogy, a new family history, and he was trained and given a new vocation. Sammy the Bull became Jimmy Moran. He owned a pool installation company in Tempe, Arizona. Jimmy Pools, maybe he began to be called. (laughs) Sammy the Bull's old world was as good as dead. And because of the powers that be, the powers higher than him, he was invited to live into a new world with a new identity. And what do I share that? We're on the hinge of First Peter, of the, of the letter of First Peter, and primarily up to this point, Peter has really been emphasizing this new identity that exists to the church. He's writing to a group of Christians, of followers of Jesus, in what we would now call Turkey, in modern-day Turkey, and he is telling them of this new identity that they have. And maybe one way you could think about it is this. These Christians did the right thing. They pled guilty despite the fact that they had participated in something like treason against their creator. That they had found themselves caught up in a world where they just indulged their impulse, impulses and lived for their own gain. And lived for their own benefit. That they, that, but something has come of them. These people have decided to turn. They've decided to become, in some senses, government witnesses, not against others, but against themselves. They've acknowledged what they have done, and now Peter is saying, you've been put in something like witness protection. Your relationship to the outside world is just never going to be the same anymore. Something absolutely drastic has changed. You've been forgiven, and you've been given a new identity. He said two weeks ago in, in 1 Peter 2, 1-10, through that Lyndon preached on two weeks ago, He said, you are now a new people. You are God's people. You don't have the same genealogy. You are a new people now. And in this passage, and really in the next couple of weeks, what we're going to look at, Peter's going to try to instruct this church as to how they're to live out properly in this witness protection agency. If they're not going to get sort of caught up with their old life and bogged down by their old life, how are they going to move forward as God's new people, as the people with which God dwells with? As the people who are participating in this grand project that's been going on since God's beginnings of interactions with humanity, of sort of building a temple that he might dwell with them. How are they going to live this out? How are they going to conduct themselves as people who in some senses know of an old life? But because of their testimony and because of what they have agreed to, they are now participating in a world that is to come. They are no longer Sammy the Bulls, they're Jimmy the Pool Man. And what does it mean to live properly and to conduct themselves properly as someone who's benefited from such a radical change and such radical amnesty? This is what we're going to be looking at the next couple of weeks. And in this first passage, Peter is going to begin to unpack what it looks like to live as faithful people in this new order. He's going to say there's a new way that you ought to conduct yourself. There's a new type of civics that you ought to engage in. And finally, he's going to say that there's a new condition that you found yourself in that you must comprehend fully. So what I want to look at this morning is this new conduct, the new civics, and the new condition. Three C words, amazing, even on retreat week. Um, So what's this new conduct with which we're supposed to conduct ourselves that Peter wants uh, his audience to conduct themselves? Obviously, uh, Sammy the bull can't conduct himself like he used to conduct himself if he's going to actually live a safe life as Jimmy the pool man. So what is the way that the Christian community is to conduct themselves, having been born again from above, having received this new life from an outside and more powerful source? What is it going to look like? Well, Peter says in verses 11 through 12, and in many ways, this is the ethic that will guide most of his specific instructions. He says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How are they to conduct themselves as they traverse what is modern-day Turkey? Well, Peter tells them that there's a, a, a special type of conduct which they must have. Maybe we could say it's a two-pronged approach. It's a, you know, there's two punches to what he's calling for. There's two steps to the dance that he's encouraging them that would, would show forth their conduct. He says that they must abstain from certain things, but they must maintain certain things. Abstain and maintain, abstain and maintain. First, abstain, but abstain from what? What Peter calls the passions of the flesh. Now, if you're new to church, and I know every week there's people that visit this church that have been away for a while, or maybe are just dipping their toes back in, or maybe you've had no experience of the church, you know, you hear abstain from the passions of the flesh, and you say, here you go again. These people, they have it. They just hate sex. (laughs) They don't have any joy in life. What is the problem? And if you hear uh, passions of the flesh and you immediately think of sex, you're not completely wrong. <laughs> there is a type of passion that we would all say that is, we're ob- obliged to abstain from. But Peter is talking about something that includes the passions of sex, but it's also deeper and deeper into our mind, body, and soul. We, we see the Apostle Paul also using similar language of these passions of the flesh. And when he speaks about them in Galatians 5, he also speaks of things like Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions. What Peter is talking about is these internal impulses or these urges, which reside in each and every one of us. We come out of the womb with them, which get disordered and begin to control and drive us so that we work to the detriment of others. We use others as means to an end, as we will learn in the ethics class, for those of you who have been wrestling through these, these ethical dilemmas we found in this ethics class. We see people as, as speed bumps to go over as we get to our destination. These internal impulses, impulses push us and drive us. And it's not to say these impulses are evil. Not quite the contrary. These impulses are quite good and holy even. But they become disordered and become overwhelming, and we become uh, slaves, sort of driven along by our impulses. And Peter is saying, you must learn to abstain when the passions of your flesh, these over-desires, start to pull you along, and you feel like a zombie captivated by them. If you're going to conduct yourself properly, you must abstain these things. Peter actually says, these things declare war on your soul, that part of your body which most intimately relates to God. They are an act of war. I find it quite interesting, the language of culture wars, I don't know if this means anything to anybody, is is quite common to speak of the culture wars, the way in which Christians are engaging with culture and battling. And the only war Peter talks about is not the the war between the Christian and the non-Christian. He talks about a war between the Christian and their internal desires. That's the front line. That's where the battle is taking place. And in the same way, it's not arbitrary or it's not absurd to think, what if Russia was going to attack Canada today, what would happen? Well, all of our top and smartest people would come together and they would explore what are our weaknesses, what are our strengths, where are we vulnerable, what opportunities do we have? So also the Apostle Peter is saying look, if you're going to survive in this time of exile, as, as people who are who are displaced, trying to wrestle through the Christian faith in a world that finds it foreign you have got to know that there is a war going on against your soul and in the same way you would prepare for war you have to prepare to fight these internal passions and drives which become disordered and push you these passions of the flesh which destruct and destroy your relationship with god and in the same way if we heard an attack was coming you better believe a lot of us would be training training as to how to do medical procedures training as how to fight So also, Peter is telling you, these things wage war against your soul, and you better be prepared. We have to abstain. So let me ask you, how much work have you prepared to make war against the passions of your soul? How aware are you of your vulnerabilities, of your weak spots, of the areas with which the enemy can advance his troops? Some of you need to spend more time this way. If Jimmy the Pool Man was going to survive as Jimmy the Pool Man, the first time he had an altercation with a customer, he couldn't resort to killing him as he did when he was Sammy the Bull. These internal passions and pull, which say, "I know how to fix things, I can take care of this," he had to learn that that is not who he is any longer. So, also, you as Christians have to learn to abstain from these passions of the flesh. There was a time, there was a time where you tried to manage the passions of your flesh. Put forward the ones that are least embarrassing, the ones that cause the least amount of consequences. Peter is saying, you must abstain from these passions of the flesh. You must properly order them. But he also says there's something to maintain, and we could summarize what he says to maintain is honorable conduct. It's interesting that Peter assumes that there will be slander that come the way of Christians. And we actually know from church history, there's Roman historians that write about this, there's all kinds of early writings, that the Christians were indeed slandered. They were called all kinds of things. They're called cannibals, at least we know in some regions, because they came to the Lord's Supper and participated in the body and blood of Christ. They were slandered. And at this time that Peter is writing, he's writing under the reign of Nero, who will slander Christians and blame them. He will say they're an abomination And they adhere to a a horrible superstition. Peter assumes that that is going to be the life of anyone who follows after Christ. There's going to be rumors about you. They're going to slander you. But the way you're going to put that to bed is you're going to live honorable and quiet lives, lives that are characterized by good deeds, beautiful deeds. If you grew up in the Protestant tradition, like I presume a lot of us did, the idea of hearing that you should devote your life to good deeds, maybe even plan to do some good deeds this week. feels awful. It feels wrong because so much of our tradition was a reaction to a moment in church history where these good deeds were assumed to be the way in which you could find a right standing before God. Peter's saying this, you already have your right standing before God. You've already been set free from that past. You have a new identity. You are God's people. And the way you are going to conduct yourselves is with beautiful and good deeds. Do you plan for any of these deeds? Very few good things in life don't involve time and financial sacrifice. The Apostle Peter is telling us, this is how we will quiet and conduct ourselves in the face of slander. This is how we will live out our new birth as we sojourn through this world. How should we respond to this? Let me just quickly say, maybe in an age of anxiety in an age where people are worried that their kids are falling behind, that their kids won't be elite, that their kids are at risk of constantly dying, the hovering parenting movement, maybe in an age of anxiety, the way we conduct ourselves with good deeds and lead beautiful lives is show forth ourselves to be non-anxious presence in an age of fear. Maybe in the age of celebrity, the way we conduct ourselves and live beautiful lives as we don't use people to get more followers, <laughs> but we intentionally spend time with those maybe who are hard to get along with, those who lack the followers on social media. We don't use people as means to an end. This is how we'll live beautiful lives. And maybe in, in an age of busyness, in an age where people feel the way to be most alive and to know you matter is to run at a frenetic pace, maybe one of the ways we can live beautiful lives is live realistic lives within our margins. And maybe if that's too high of a challenge, maybe we conduct ourselves as people who are known to be patient in the face of interruptions. The Apostle Peter says the goal is this, a day of judgment is coming, uh, quite literally he says this day of visitation, the day of inspection. And on the day of inspection, the central tool that we have as a church, the tool that's in our arsenal, that's in our toolbox as we conduct ourselves in Toronto is this, we abstain from the passions of our flesh, and we lead beautiful lives characterized by good works. This is our evangelistic strategy, both as a church and as individuals. Sammy the Bull, he's no longer, he's now Jimmy Moran, Jimmy the Pool Man. And if he is ever going to survive, he's got to abstain from his impulses, these over-desires, and to live a beautiful, beautiful life. And Peter is saying this is exactly what the Christian community also needs to be committed to. But he doesn't just say that there's new conduct, and I'll have to move somewhat faster. He says there's new civics with which we ought to engage. What are these new civics? And Peter is unqualified. He's blunt. He says, if you call yourselves followers of Jesus the High King, if you're part of his new people, this new nation— Well, then any human institution and authority, be subject to them. The Bible generally speaks of governments related to the sort of civil government, the family, and the church. And Peter is absolutely clear here. As it relates to your general disposition to the governing world, be in subjection. Put yourself in subjection. I'd love to tell you that I studied the Greek all week, and though it looks like you have to obey the government and pay the taxes, the good news is if you really understand the Greek, you still have to obey the government and pay your taxes. There's there's no getting off the hook here. Peter is blunt. He's straightforward. And it's interesting that he's writing during the reign of Nero. Church history tells us not only will many Christians be persecuted just a couple of years after this letter is probably written, but also Peter himself will be crucified. Peter is calling forth people, just put this into perspective, to be subjected to governing authorities, governing authorities at the time which include not only Nero, but also a man named Pontius Pilate, a man who oversaw and participated and handed over Jesus to death. Peter is saying be in subjection to those governing authorities. This isn't a lesson Peter understood immediately upon following Christ, in fact we know he when, the, when, the, when Christ is to be betrayed, he pulls out a sword and chops off the ear of one of the servants. This is a lesson Peter must have learned over time, that our Lord's kingdom is going to come at its own time and in its own pace. And the way the civics that it's going to take for this kingdom to roll out are a gentle and quiet spirit, living peaceably in the world, has been perfectly and beautifully prayed. In a sense, what Peter is saying is, is just applying that there's an, there's an impulse inside of you, a desire of your flesh, which is anti-authoritarian, and I can't tell you how much that impulse came out in me. Uh, I frequently made jokes about it, but, you know, when I was told I had to wear a mask, I thought, well, you can't tell me to cover my face. Then I went into the washroom and I saw a 10-step plan about how to wash my hands, and I thought, not me. You're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to micromanage my life this way. You know, that's absurd. Washing your hands is good for you. Why would I complain about it? I get in my car and tell my kids to put on the seatbelt or else we'll get in trouble, and I wonder, what if I don't want to put on the seatbelt? This anti-authoritarian impulse is inside of each and every one of us, and it gets disordered, and it gets insane and chaotic, and it pulls us to do stupid things like wash your hands. I assure you, I wash my hands after service. If I shake your hands, don't second-guess me. Quite, Quite okay with shaking hands now. I mean, washing hands now. Sometimes I even even obey the exact instructions about how many seconds need to be underwater. I say this all to say, what Peter is calling you and me to is not something that comes easy for any one of us. Some of you feel way more comfortable under government restrictions, and this, this, this feels and seems more natural to you, but, Peter, but there are places where you feel uncomfortable, where there's an impulse inside of you that says, I just don't know if I want to be in subjection to that type of government, that type of particular leader. Now there's some comparison you have to do between the Apostle Paul's instructions as it relates to the civic realm and Peter's instructions. And the best I could the quickest way I could sum it up to you is this is that Peter assumes that the people that to which he's writing have almost no agency uh, in their world. Uh, Peter makes in the next section, which we'll preach next Sunday, is he gives instructions to slaves, but he actually gives no instruction to masters, whereas the Apostle Paul assumes the church would be composed of some slaves, but also possibly some masters. Peter seems to be writing to people who are undergoing tremendous persecution, and it's unbelievable to me that he unqualified says to these people who have little agency in their world, who are experiencing intense suffering, he says, the way in which you are to conduct yourself as these strangers in this world is to be in subjection to governing authorities, to honor the office even when the officer dishonors it, to trust that they will answer to God on the last day, and it is not yours to render that judgment any sooner that God has put them in place to punish evil and to promote and encourage good. And to those ends, he will hold them accountable. It's not your duty or your job, at least, Peter says, to this particular group of Christians. And the question becomes, how does that relate to us and the type of democracy that we live in? You know, 95% of people, uh, you know, during the empire at the time, Peter's writing, don't even come close to being within this sort of nobility class They all have almost nothing of what we know of rights, uh, similarities to us as it relates to our ability to participate in the democratic process. What does this mean to us, especially us coming off a period of time where we were told to stay inside by the government, keep our faces covered, a time where we were told whether we were uncomfortable or not we really needed to take medical interventions, a time where some of us missed funerals of loved ones and babies were born and we weren't able to be there, a time when the church meets, what would Peter say to us? Well, on the whole, I feel as though, and again, maybe five years from now I'll change my mind, I feel as though we did a decent job as a church putting ourselves in subjection to the governing authorities, submitting to them. Even at times when we felt like they had forgotten us or didn't see value in our gathering the way that we did. I, I, I sense, as we wrestled through these things, meeting online, meeting outdoors, even when it started to rain and snow, wearing masks whenever they asked, I feel as though this is what it looks like to be properly in subjection. I could change my mind in the next couple of years. What What Peter would say to our church, I feel, to people with tremendous agency, is that in an age that is becoming incredibly polarized, in an age where people demonize one another and people live in these echo chambers and have an inability to communicate well with one another, what does it mean to properly be in subjection to the governing authority when they ask you To participate. They call forth for you to vote. They call forth for you to participate in the governing experience. My hunch is if Peter spent some time in our congregation and walked around in the shoes that many of you walk in, he would say proper subjection to you is going to look like participating well in the democratic process. I don't want to even think about how horrendous voter turnout is in the city for much of our our elections. One of the ways in which I think we need to think about being properly in subjection is to participate in this. And you say, well, there's no good candidates. Listen, that kind of cynicism is going to get us nowhere. Part of what we have to do is say that we don't need this perfect idealistic candidate. We're going to have to wrestle hard. We're going to have to acknowledge that we have weaknesses in our particular view, that things might not go forward. We as Christians especially are a minority, but we're going to do our best to love our neighbors by participating in the process that is put before, before us. And we're gonna do that without making idols of one political party or platform, and without demonizing another political party or platform. We're gonna find a way to do it. I think Peter would say this is how you live a quiet and gentle life in this world. This is how you put yourself in proper subjection to the governing authorities. Knock off the cynicism. A lot of you have a lot more agency than almost anyone else in the city. There's a lot of power that resides in this world. The way forward is not just mocking politicians and sharing hot takes on Facebook, they do nothing. Honor the office. Properly engage in the civic realm. This is what Peter would call us to. I could go on and on, but I won't. I think you get my point. Being in subjection to the governing authorities means honoring the requests of the governing authorities. And in our particular democracy, that is going to look like wrestling really hard with politics. And it might even look like joining a political party with not becoming obsessed with him, which is almost, I don't know how to do it. But somehow we've got to find a way to lead these types of lives. And you know why? This is our only apologetic. This is how the Lord will quiet those who speak ill of us. And this is, in fact, how some people on the last day, on the day of inspection, their views of who God is and who Christ is will have been transformed by the ways in which Christians conduct themselves in the civic sphere this is how we're going to live out this new identity we're not obsessed with the losses in this world we're also not obsessed with the victories we participate well and put ourselves in subjection to every governing authority let me end our time by just look briefly at this new way that we're to conduct ourselves and i think this is the principle it's in verse 16 it's one i want you to think about all week peter is saying this live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover up for evil but living as servants of God. Peter doesn't use the traditional word of slaves. He actually uses the words for house slaves. Uh, This is how you are to conduct yourselves. And this is quite incredible when you think about it. This holy nation, this people who were once in darkness, now in light, once were not God's people, now they're God's people. How are they to conduct themselves now that they've been set free, now that they have this new identity, now that they're not under the bondage of their old lifestyle? What are they to do? They're to reckon themselves servants in God's house for the good of others, not to conduct themselves in a manner that involves their own self-indulgence, but to look to serve. I recently heard a story that illustrated this principle so well, a woman born in the Philippines to actually a pastor's home, quite well educated, and rather than using her resume to move and travel and to gain amazing work experiences because of a calling she uniquely felt from the Lord. She pretended as though she had never graduated from university and she applied to be a house servant in Saudi Arabia that people might, who have never heard the gospel, might get a chance to hear it. There are people around the world that pray for her every Sunday morning because she doesn't have a church community to connect with while she is there. Free You'll never find anyone more free than this woman is my hunch. But what an example, a servant for the Lord. It's an incredible example. What Peter is calling us to is a transformed view of the world, of, of a view of freedom and an interaction with society that is utterly different from the paradigms with which we are going to step out of this place and walk into. Our goals are to keep our options open to work our way up the ladder to put more people under us. And Peter is saying that is exactly opposite. Our goal is to see how many people we can serve, how many people we can find ourselves coming under for the sake of the Lord. And we are going to find that the more we serve, the more we are going to find ourselves to be a f- truly free person. Our world says, Get out of my way. I am coming for you if you're on the top. We are going to say, How can I serve you? What can I do to help? This is how we're to render our reckons ourselves. The church is called to be an organization that doesn't exist for itself or for its own benefit, but exists for the good of the world. This is what the Apostle Peter is calling me to, is what he is calling you to, a type of freedom which puts ourselves in subjection to our Lord, which brings about our flourishing and the flourishing of our neighbors. You see, I know it sounds restrictive to those of you who have far from Christ or have no experience of the Christian church. It sounds restrictive to render yourself a servant of God. It sounds as though you have to lose all your freedom. But what you find is that you will never be more free than the moment you come before Christ and you say, Convan me, good master. I'm a servant in your courts. Never will you taste more deeply the freedom that is yours. Let me conclude this way. Sammy the Bull couldn't handle his freedom, as some of you know. He uh, became a consultant for various TV shows and biographers about uh, how the Mafia actually worked. (laughs) Somehow this guy, Jimmy Moran, that has been installing pools his whole life became an expert in the structure of how Mafia's worked, and he became this sort of quiet consultant uh, throughout. uh, You can see uh, his name even attributed in thank yous. And over time, his old ways got to him, and he could not possibly live out this new identity much longer. Before long, he found himself selling drugs again. I believe he was taking in half a million dollars in ecstasy per week at one point. Jimmy Moran was always Sammy the Bull. (laughs) He was Sammy the Bull in hiding. He didn't have this new identity that he wanted. But what this passage is telling us is this. It's giving us this paradigm. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he came into this world, okay? The one who had more freedom than you will ever comprehend, who could choose to do whatever he wanted with his time, with his resources, he came into this world, and not only did he submit to the confines of being a human being, he also submitted to human institutions. He stood trial and was even unjustly treated. And this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, participated in this system and acted as a servant for me and for you, and by his life By his sacrificial death, by the way he used his freedom and surrendered up his freedom as an offering. New hope, new life, new freedom are found. People do not have to be guided by the impulses deep in their guts. They can fight these impulses and find new life in Christ and be utterly and completely transformed as they put themselves underneath the reign of Christ. Christ is the paradigm. The way he interacted with the the political sphere is what Peter is reflecting on and calling the church to and is what he's calling us to. And if you're here, all I have to say to you is this. What Christ is calling you to is to come. To come and to sit before him and to say to him, Oh, Jesus, who walked on this earth, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, command me. Let me be a servant in your kingdom, and here is my promise to you. You won't just be given a new superficial name and fake birth. You will really will become part of a new people. You'll be utterly transformed from the inside out as you interact with this Christ and he sends a spirit upon you. And it's only then that you will learn to conduct yourselves differently in this world, knowing that you're an alien, you're a stranger, you're temporarily wandering, you're displaced, and that your true home is where your king is. And this is how the apostle, this is how the apostle Peter wants us to conduct ourselves in the days that lie ahead. Let me close in prayer, and then we will go to the Lord's table. Let me pray. Oh Lord, make us, we ask, into the type of people that embody this kind of ethic in a healthy way. The way that we are subject to the human institutions in our world in such a way that we watch out for those who are being oppressed with every, every right that we have, and at the same time, we're willing to be in subjection to things we disagree with. Father, I don't know how to move forward. The Christian community's name has been quite stained globally We have a certain reputation as it relates to authority which is going to be hard to undo. Make us into the type of church that lives a life of quiet subjection to the governing and human institutions in this city, that some on the day of visitation might remember these things. Make us a people who are devoted to living beautiful lives, people of good works. Make us the type of people that honor everyone, that love everyone sisters and brothers in our church and the wider church community that fear god and honor the king we ask this in the name of jesus amen
0: thank you for listening to the christ church toronto podcast for more information about our church you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca